reading this morning from Mark 14, verses 26 through 31. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. I want you to begin this morning by imagining with me a 16-year-old boy who's finally gotten his driver's license. The excitement of those days. And this boy's saved up enough money that he actually is going to be able to buy his own car. So he finds the perfect car on Craigslist. He goes, meets with the people. And the guy says, you know, I I really wanted to sell you this car, but unfortunately, I've lost it. I cannot find the key. And the boy says, oh, that's okay. I don't don't plan on using the engine. I'm just going to push it. You see, I've been pretty good with my legs on my skateboard and on my bike and, you know, running and all. And uh, I'll get my friends if I have to, but, you know, we'll just push the car. I don't need a key. Now, you hear that story and you go, that's crazy. That's foolish, right? (laughs) And yet I find that all of us, I believe, as Christians, start there. When we come to Christ, Jesus plants his Holy Spirit in us, the very life of God, the very power of God. And yet it's so natural for us to depend on ourselves that we naturally use our own efforts to try to live the Christian life. We have the engine, but we don't know how to turn it on. (laughs) So the key to really understanding the Christian life and living it out is learning to depend on the life of the Spirit in us. Galatians 2.20 says, and this is sort of funny, it's a sermon on failure. And I had the wrong reference, and I could not come up with this verse for service. It's great. Failure's good, right? (laughs) Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. Yet nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me because of his great love. I'm able to depend on him, his life in me. Yes, I'm still in this body, but I learned to depend on his life. It's a beautiful picture of what God's called us to and how he's gifted us with the Holy Spirit to depend on his life. So the secret of the Christian life is learning to depend on the spirit in us. Jesus's very life. But how do we do it? How do we make that shift from self-dependence to God dependence. 
from depending on the flesh to depending on the Spirit of God in us so we can live out of that engine of the Holy Spirit in us instead of trying to do it on our own. Our, our passage today, I think, shows us that the key that turns on the engine of the Holy Spirit, that helps us depend on Him, is a word we like to avoid. <laughs> but without it, we'll never truly become spiritual people. And that word is failure. Pray with me. Lord, what a miracle that you would love us so that you would grant us not only forgiveness and a restored relationship with you, but you plant your very life in us that we might depend on you and live out this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet we confess that most of us have no idea really what that looks like. It's so easy to try to do it on our own. May we learn the power of failure. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this first section of this passage the Lord just read, I believe it helps us understand that our failure is part of God's plan. Our failure is part of God's plan. It begins this way. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a place where Jesus loved to reveal himself to the disciples. Right across the Kidron Valley is Jerusalem and the temple and all of that. And yet when Jesus really wants to show up in a powerful way and reveal himself, it's typically on the Mount of Olives. In fact, we're told in Zechariah 14.4, that when the Messiah returns, he will stand on the Mount of Olives and the mountain will split. And he will reveal himself as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, when he finally comes again and defeats death forever. So now he takes his disciples there for their final preparation before he goes to Gethsemane and to the cross. It says that they sang a song. You see, the normal Passover feast, they would sing the halal from Psalms 113 to 118. And many think that probably what they sang at this point as they finished the Passover feast and walked out, that they were singing from Psalm 118, the end of the chapter. And let me read that to you because I think Jesus is making a point with them. Starting in verse 26, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Listen to this. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I give thanks to you. You are my God, and I extol you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, as they sing this song, I think it's very significant. This day is the Lord's doing, and me being bound is the festival sacrifice to the horns of the altar. His death on the cross is God's plan. He's acting out of his chesed, his loyal love for us. So this is ringing in the disciples' ears, this song they've just sung about the sacrifice and about the goodness of God and the plan of God through all that. As he speaks to them these last few words before Gethsemane. And as David Roper likes to say, last words are lasting words. I believe these words stuck in their heads 
as Jesus went to the cross. And notice what his words are. Not very encouraging, right? Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. By the way, disciples, all of you will be scandalized. Scandalizo is the Greek word, and what it means is to turn to sin away from God, to fall, to wilt. It's used in chapter 4 of Mark in the parable of the sower of the seed that's sown on the hard ground and rocky ground, and it springs up for a time, but then it just wilts. It's a description of the disciples. It's a description of us. How we work hard to live the Christian life and then we wilt. He's saying, you disciples, not a one of you will stay faithful to me. You will all abandon me. But I want you to notice something very important here. Jesus says, by the way, your abandonment, your failure, your moral failure was prophesied 500 years before. And in fact, I believe it was part of God's plan for his disciples. Their failure was part of God's plan for, for the disciples. And failure is part of God's plan for you and for me. Isn't that mind-blowing? But I think that's what Jesus is trying to get across to the disciples. You will never become all that I've created you to be without failing first. What, what is Jesus getting at here? Well, he quotes Zechariah again, chapter 13. And I want to turn there if you want to follow. It's the second to the last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah 13, starting in verse 7, where Zechariah says this, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, declares the Lord of hosts, Strike the shepherd. And the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, and they will say, the Lord is my God. It's a wonderful passage there in Zechariah where it says the Messiah is going to be struck down and his followers scattered. It's a picture of their moral failure, of their denial of Jesus, predicted 500 years before. And it says some will be lost. You see, when we fail, sometimes we turn our backs on God and walk away, right? In despair because we give up. But it says the remnant, a third, the remnant will come back and be refined as in fire, it says, and they will be my people and I will be their God. In other words, what takes us to a depth of relationship with God we could have no other way is through failure, through being scattered, through being broken. What's Jesus saying? That he's in control. That even their denial that's about to happen is in his control, his plan. All that's happening has not only been prophesied 500 years before, but it's part of God's plan to take the disciples deeper with him. You see, because the failure is used by God 
to refine the disciples and to take them to a place of deeper, more profound relationship with him. In verse 28, Jesus says, But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. This is a wonderful verse, I think, of restoration. You're all going to fail. You're going to run away. But you know what? There'll be restoration. I will go ahead of you into Galilee and you will be restored to me there. And you will learn finally to follow my leadership, to depend on me rather than on yourself. But you're not there yet, disciples. (laughs) So he begins with this picture that it's all part of God's plan, their failure, our failure. Why is that? Because of the next section, which really shows us the persistence of self-dependence. Notice, Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. (laughs) One of the things I love about the book of Mark and sections like this is that, as far as we know, most scholars think that Mark got his information of everything that happened from the apostle Peter. Peter didn't write his own gospel. He passed it on to Mark, who wrote it down. And I love the humility of Peter here as he describes to Mark his complete and utter failure. I'll never fail you, Jesus. Even if all these guys blow it, I won't. Peter has tremendous humility here in sharing this with Mark. And I I think it's very important for us to see that the one of the Marks that prove that you've learned to depend on Jesus, not on your own self. You move from self-dependence to God-dependence is this ability to be open about your failures. You know, as long as it all depends on you, you have to posture and pretend like you're pulling it off and, and put other people down and all of that because you, you have to hide your failures. But if you've learned to depend on Jesus, it doesn't matter that you failed. In fact, you're thankful for your failures. Because they've driven you to a place of dependence on him in a way that you never could have otherwise. So he ends up getting all the glory. You learn that if anything good is found in you, it's not from you, it's from him. So verse 29, he says, all of these guys may be uncommitted, but I'm committed to you, Jesus. I will not fail you. I can handle this. I've got what it takes. Bring it on. Go ahead. Make my day. (laughs) Peter's all talk, right? All bluster here. Now, I think he's absolutely sincere. He really means it. He really means it. But we all know he can't pull it off. He fails. This is why I'm never very impressed by summer camp commitments. Stand up if you're really going to follow Jesus when you go back to your high school. And you're going to go share your faith. And a week later, they've all forgotten. And nothing has changed. I've been to plenty of conferences, men's conferences, where, you know, there's a call for commitment. You need to go out and let's prove our faith and commit yourselves. But it never really changes people's hearts. I believe we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12, 2. And it's in that renewing of our mind that that we begin to learn to move from self-dependence 
to God dependence, but it only comes as we fail. Notice this persistence of Peter's self-dependence. Verse 31, Jesus says, no, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. In verse 31, but Peter kept saying insistently. Uh, in the Greek, it's so emphatic. Peter kept saying it over and over and over again with a really strong voice. No, I will never deny you. No, Jesus, you're a liar. Do you realize that's what he's saying? You're lying, Jesus. You say I'm going to deny you. I will never because I'm working up enough willpower to pull it off. I will never deny you. And he repeats it as if by saying it louder, it makes a difference or more often that somehow I can overcome my sin or change spiritually or grow or change my heart by willpower. Now, isn't Peter just like all of us? I mean, how many times have you and I, and dealing with sin in our lives, an area we're struggling with, we fail and we, you know, we're sorry for it and we say, I'll never do that again. And we just think, if I can just meet it enough, just work up enough willpower, I can get it right. We promise to never do it again. We promise harder. We say it over and over, just like Peter. We try to mean it more. Let me ask. How's that working for you? <laughs> it doesn't work for me. That's the power of the flesh. The flesh cannot live the spiritual life. There's no way. There's no engine for it. There's no power to live the Christian life in ourselves. Now, the flesh is very powerful in certain ways. I mean, our world, we can see that man can accomplish many good human things by the power of the flesh. Look at all the good technological advances. Look at all the things that have been done, advances in medicine, hospitals, social work that people do as they give their lives away. There's wonderful things that man can do. Although, truth be told, if we could really see behind the scenes, none of that would happen without God's help. <laughs> but when it comes to the spiritual life of living out, of changing, of dealing with sin, of, of loving people truly, with God's love, of loving God well, all those things that we're called to in the spiritual life, none of it can be done by the flesh. The flesh has no power. God's given us a new engine, the Holy Spirit, but we have to learn how to depend on it. Otherwise, we're just pushing the car. And you can push the car, you know, the Christian life. You can try to do it for a while as long as you're going downhill or it's pretty level. But then you get into trouble, right? <laughs> if there's a little uphill, you're in trouble. When Jeannie and I had our first car, it was a little Datsun F10. And at one point, we were, we were poor. We didn't have much. The starter went out. And so for a while, until we could afford to replace the starter, we had to push start the car. Well, Jeannie happened to be, minor detail, but she happened to be eight months pregnant. And I felt more comfortable popping the clutch. <laughs> what? <laughs> so you can just see, we always had to park the car where it was slightly downhill or at least level. Here's this eight-month pregnant person behind the car, and I'm sitting happily waiting for her to get me up to speed so I could pop the clutch and start the engine. 
I, I'm not sure why, but I got a lot of dirty looks during those days. <laughs> you know, we can push the car only so long, but when you get to something where it's a little bit uphill, it doesn't work anymore, does it? And we fall on our faces. Why? Because the flesh is so persistent. It, we can't just shift, can we? We can't just say, oh, well, I don't want to depend on the flesh anymore. I'm going to depend on the spirit. No, because we are so are, are enwrapped by the flesh that we don't know how to live any other way. It's our natural bent as sinners. This year, as I turned on my water, the first set of sprinklers, the first set worked, second set worked, third set, nothing happened. So I opened the valve box. Two beautiful valves and then one that's completely enwrapped with a root ball from a nearby tree. And it had squeezed that valve until it could no longer flow water through it. So I had to hack away at that root ball and rip it apart and get it out of there so I could replace the valve. That's the way our flesh is, our self-dependence. It's got us wrapped up so tight. The only thing that can break the power of it and our dependence on it is failure. We have to come to a place of hopelessness and helplessness where we realize, I cannot do it. I need you in me. How, how do we get there? We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'm concerned how many churches build big programs, and there's lots going on, lots of activity, but how much of it is in the power of the flesh, not in the power of the Spirit? The flesh loves it, but little is done for eternity. In his book, The Rest of the Gospel, Dan Stone describes this struggle that we all have. Many people think the grace of God is like him dropping a big, strong rope from heaven and giving you the privilege of trying to climb it. God does a little, then leaves the rest up to you. So you read the art of rope climbing, <laughs> seven steps to successful rope climbing. You master those books and you get on the rope. But you climb about a tenth of the way up and you say, this isn't going to work. I'm already exhausted. So you start down. I know because I'm passing you on the same rope. I start up the rope and see you coming down. What's your problem, I ask? Didn't you read the book on 15 ways to climb the rope? Then I come down and here you come up again. <laughs> I'm going to make it this time, you proclaim. Up and down, up and down, up and down. You see, that's not the way we're called to live the Christian life. The Christian life is totally grace. God initiated it. God fulfills it. God will complete it. He's the one who lives it in us. You may not, yet we may not know that it's totally grace. If we believe that God has met 50%, say, of his requirements by grace, then we think we have to fill up the other 50% by works. It has to be filled up. The requirements have to be met. So if God has met part of the requirement, it's up to me to do the rest. Almost all of us have been subtly lured into that trap. God saved me. He forgave my sins. But the rest is up to me. So we need to figure out, right, how to live in the power of the Holy Spirit rather than trying hard in the flesh. How do we move from pushing the car to actually turning the key? Well, again, it's the power of failure. 
Verse 30 again, let me read that. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, Peter, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. Peter saying, I never will fail you. Jesus says, oh yeah? Tonight, you'll fail me three times before the rooster crows twice. Why three times? Well, you know, if we fail once, we can attribute it to, you know, I was having a bad day, just a lapse, a little moral lapse. But when we fail repeatedly, over and over again, no matter how hard we try, we get warnings along the way, rooster crows. <laughs> when we continue to fail, even despite all of that, that's when we can begin to learn the lesson that I don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. And if I don't depend on Jesus every second, I will continue to fail. Now, it's true that failure can lead to despair because we just don't want to give up our self-dependence. And that happens to some of us, doesn't it? Where we just kind of quit on the Christian life. We don't even try to live it anymore. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you, don't go there. Let your failure be an opportunity to turn to Jesus and say, I, I've got to learn how to let your life flow through me. I've got to learn to love, let your love love others through me. Love yourself through me, Jesus. I can't even love you well. And I want to depend on you to live the life you've called me to. You see, failure cuts the chains that bind us to self-dependence. Failure chops at that root ball that's holding us back from plugging into the power of the Spirit. Now, this is, this is a truth that's seen all through Scripture. We see it over and over again, right? I mean, if you really think about it, all the major characters in the Bible had to learn this. Think of Moses. Moses said, I'm going to be the Savior of Israel. He kills an Egyptian, and what does he have to do? Run for his life. He spends 40 years in the wilderness herding sheep. What did he learn during that time? I can't depend on me. <laughs> and God says, okay, finally, you're ready. And he shows up in the burning bush. And we're told that Moses is the most humble man on earth. Why? Because he learned to depend on the life of Jesus, not on his own life. Think about the Apostle Paul. He's transformed. He's saved on the road to Damascus. He sees the flash of light. Jesus meets him. He goes to Damascus, starts preaching the word. He knows he's God's gift to the Jews because he's a Jewish rabbi. He knows them. Well, he makes a mess of it. He has to be let down by a basket, which later in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I'm going to boast about this. I failed. He ends up making a mess of it in Jerusalem, gets sent out of town by the rest of the apostles, ends up in the wilderness for at least four years, something ten years, where we know nothing what's going on. But when he comes back, he's learned humility. He's learned to depend on the life of Christ in him. And that's why he could write such incredible words about Christ's life in us. Because he failed. That's the power of failure. Failure is the key that breaks our self-dependence. This week I had a wonderful opportunity to spend the week with 
another church, their staff and elders in Lake Tahoe, the staff from Peninsula Bible Church in Cupertino, and they invited me along on their retreat, and we spent time together. And the first night, because I didn't know all of them, they asked me to tell my story. And as I told the story, it was very clear to me. My story is the story of my failure and God's grace. My failure and God's grace. And I'll bet if you really think about your own story, that's your story. Our failure and God's grace. One of the big failures for me was 12 years ago when I gritted my teeth and I was going to be the best interim senior pastor I could be because we'd lost our senior pastor and I was going to pull it off. And I utterly failed. Thanks to my wife who finally said, this is not working. After a year, she said, we're done. I'm done. You're done. We're done. And God used my failure to help Cole become a church that was truly elder-led. And I think the last 12 years have been a very healthy time for Cole because of my failure. (laughs) Today's Mother's Day. Made me think about my mom. She's been gone for almost 20 years. But she grew up during the Depression. She was sexually abused by an uncle as a young girl. One of seven kids when she was 11. Her father died of a massive heart attack in 1931, right in the middle of the Depression. She learned to be tough. She learned to just plow ahead no matter what. She battled three different kinds of cancer in her life. She raised six kids. She had a difficult marriage. There were a lot of difficult things, but she was tough. At age 62, she came to Christ and her heart began to soften. But as I watched her in those last days as she was dying from lung cancer, the final one she couldn't lick, (laughs) and she lived with us, and I watched her heart soften because finally there were no more battles to fight. And as she relaxed, she became more and more beautiful in spirit. It was an incredibly lovely thing to see. But I pray for us here that we wouldn't wait till we're 77 years old to learn to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit in us and let his life flow. That we would learn to move from self-dependence to God-dependence. Brothers and sisters, the greatest enemy of the kingdom of God, along with Satan, is self. Self-dependence, self-effort, self-confidence, self-determination, self-will. And we will never be able to live out the Christian life as God intended until we're broken of our dependence on self and learn to depend on Jesus. That's God's plan for us. And so he's built into the fabric of our growth in Christ our own failure. There's only one way to be broken of our self-dependence, as far as I can see, through failure. And what failure does is simply begin to open our eyes to the reality of what God knows already. It simply shows us what he already knows about us, that we do not have what it takes to live the Christian life. And once we begin to realize that, I don't have what it takes, we begin to be swept up into his resurrection power as he begins to live his life through us. As we learn to just turn the key, yeah, we still have to drive, yeah, but we're cooperating with him, but it's his power that does the work.
So go ahead and try to live the Christian life. Work hard at it. (laughs) But when you fail, realize God doesn't condemn you. It's part of his plan for you to woo you back and help you learn what it means to depend on him. In fact, his response when you fail is finally. (laughs) Now you found the key to truly knowing and depending on me. I want to close with some words again from Dan Stone, where he says this. It made sense to me to be religious. It made sense to be an external Christian trying to keep an external set of rules. I couldn't do anything else because I'd be, always been that way. So were you. <laughs> we all grew up as Christians trying to figure out what do I do. But the program of God is this. We've got a wonderful program here, the end result of which will be futility, frustration, and failure. When you've completed the course, we will give you a diploma saying, congratulations, you have failed. (laughs) He says, I remember talking to a group and proclaiming, we've succeeded in what? In failing. Everyone's telling us we failed in what we were supposed to succeed in, but the truth is we've succeeded in what we were supposed to fail in. (laughs) You see, as believers, we no longer live under the law, looking for it to tell us what to do and then trying our best to do it. Instead, we live on the faith principle, the inner life principle of who really is our life, Christ. We trust that he directs us. He opens or closes doors for us and speaks directly to us giving us a message or whatever is needed for the occasion. We trust that he is living through us. We may not feel it at any given moment, but we live by faith that he is our life. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way we're meant to live. Lord, I'm depending on you every moment. Speak to me. Let me depend on you. Guide me. Direct me. You may not feel it, but as you trust him by faith and learn to walk in relationship with him, he lives his life through you. He loves others through you, and he loves himself through you. That's the beauty of what God's called us to, but there's only one way to get there. Try hard and fail. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you know us better than we know ourselves. We think we can pull this off. But thank you that you walk with us and you love us enough to build into your plan our own failure so that when we do fail, we don't need to run away from you, afraid of your judgment, but we can run to you and say, Lord, I need you every moment. Will you live your life through me? And thank you that you love it when we come to you on those terms. May we be people who learn to live in the power of the Spirit that you planted in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.